thank you for listening to another Hastings NAS podcast. We are so pleased that you have shown interest in listening to this podcast, and we pray that it is edifying and beneficial for you. You can watch us live every Sunday morning on Facebook, facebook.com slash Hastings NAS. And if you are so inclined, you can support the ministries of the church by going to HastingsNAS.org slash give. Hope you enjoy this sermon. Grace and peace. In the 15th year of the reign of Emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was the governor of Judea and Herod was ruler of Galilee and his brother Philip, ruler of the region of Aturia and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, ruler of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall be made straight and the rough ways made smooth and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. This is the written word of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. I had trouble reading that from my Bible this morning because as I was sitting in the seat this morning, Millie had a pencil and a crayon and colored all over my scripture reading right there. Uh, But we made it. Uh, Well, church, this is a Sunday in December, which you know what that means, right? Well, hey, you gave the right answer. That's not what I was going to say. I was going to say it means there's a football game. And maybe most of you here care more about Saturday football games. I think something happened yesterday that people are excited about, right? Yeah, and depends on what side of the state you live on, right? Uh, But today, there's a football game. The Chiefs are playing the Broncos tonight, and I'm looking forward to another Chiefs win. But with sporting events, with football games, basically any sporting event, there's controversy, right? There's always debate about the calls made by the referees. Did they make the right call? And now with video review, it maybe makes things a bit easier or it maybe makes everyone watching it an armchair expert. But one of the big controversies in all sports is whether it was inbounds or not. Did the player have two feet on the ground when they made that catch? You've all seen those catches, right? Those highlights when there's a professional football player, they're just stretched out and they've got their tippy toes inbounds and they catch a ball like way out of bounds and it's good even though the ball's over the threshold as long as their toes are in it's a fair catch they're good i mean i love those highlights because it is like remarkable what these guys can do it's amazing out of bounds rules are really interesting and they vary depending on the sport what is out of bounds and what isn't is it in or is it out in football As I've mentioned, the ball doesn't have to be in the threshold. If it's in the air and the player has it and the player is in bounds, it's it's fair game. They can catch the ball over the threshold as long as their feet are on the ground inside the white line. But the moment that a toe touches the white line, it's out of bounds. The player in football, not the ball, determines whether or not it's out of bounds. The player, not the ball. Unless, of course, the ball is on the ground if it goes over the threshold. But 
you as a player cannot go out of bounds in football. And in basketball, it's similar. The ball can cross the threshold of the line in the air, and a player can catch it and they can throw it back in. Maybe you've seen those highlights when, when a ball is going out of bounds and a player runs and jumps, but they, they jump from inbounds, they go out of bounds, catch the ball and throw it in, right? Those are amazing. Sometimes it's really fun if you are running out, of, if you know the ball is going out of bounds, you run and you jump and you catch it and you throw it at an opponent. And then it goes out of bounds and then you get possession back. It's fun. But you can't go out of bounds in basketball. Like you cannot touch the line. If you touch the line, it's out of bounds. But I grew up playing soccer. And in soccer, the rules are a little bit different. In soccer, it's not about the player. It's about the ball. The player can go out of bounds and can keep the ball in play. The player can be outside of the boundaries so long as the ball is in the boundaries. I've seen, I've seen these highlight reels of, of soccer players when a ball is about to go out of bounds, they slide out of the boundaries and keep it in play with their head because they can't touch the ball. And so most of their body is out of bounds and they, they just keep the ball in play with their head. And it's amazing. You can go out of bounds in soccer as, as long as the ball stays in that line. You can go out of bounds but the ball cannot. And if the ball goes over the threshold in the air, guess what? It's out of play. But you can go out of the line. And then we have baseball, which just makes no sense at all. Because out of bounds is when the ball is outside of the foul line, but the player can go out of bounds to catch the ball, and it's still fair. So both the player and the ball can be out of bounds, and it can, and, and it can affect what's happening Inside the white lines, you can go out of bounds in baseball and keep that play going. And in fact, you can even bring it back into play if the player has not run back to the base. So out of bounds in baseball doesn't really mean anything unless you're trying to hit a home run. How do you know if something is out of bounds? How do you know if something is inbounds? It kind of depends on the rules of the game, doesn't it? And not all games have the same rules. You need to know what game you're playing in order to know what it means to be out of bounds. And speaking of boundaries, the Gospel of Luke today gives us boundaries. The Gospel reading for the second Sunday in Advent is from Luke 3. And Luke, the writer of this Gospel, goes to great lengths to locate this story. In the very beginning of chapter 3, he gives us the boundaries. Did you catch that? The first three verses are kind of boring to us. If you read Luke 3, 1 through 3, it's just kind of data. It's just kind of information. But it gives us boundaries. It gives us the political boundaries. Luke writes, In the 15th year of the reign of Emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was the governor of Judea and Herod was the ruler of Galilee, then his brother Philip was, was, the, was his brother Philip the ruler of the region of Ituria, and Trachonitis and Lysanias the ruler of Abilene. I mean, that's just kind of information, right? But Luke is doing something here. He's locating us at a specific point of history under specific political circumstances. We have a historical location, and we have a location in time, but we also have a location in the political world around Galilee at that time. 
Tiberius is the emperor. Okay, yeah, emperor of Rome. That gives us some information. Pontius Pilate is the governor. Okay, and then Herod is the head of state. And these other dudes are in these other states. We have boundaries being drawn. This tells us something about where we are and where we can be in or where we can be out politically. But Luke also gives us religious boundaries. He tells us, he locates us in a specific place religiously in verse 3 during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. So he's letting us know in what period of temple history we are as well. Annas was the high priest. Caiaphas was the high priest. These are important people in the story. These will play a part in the story of Jesus Christ later on, but the religious boundaries are drawn. If you have a physical text, or if you have maybe your phone open, I want to I encourage you to look at the very next line. After Jesus, after Luke gives us the boundaries, Luke tells us that the word of God came. Can you tell me where the word of God came in Luke chapter 3? The very next line says, The word of God came to John the Baptist in Rome. Right? The word of God came to John the Baptist in Rome. Under the seat of the emperor, right? It came to John the Baptist in in Jerusalem. Under Pontius Pilate, right? The word of God came to John in the temple. Under Annas and Caiaphas, right? Where does the word of God come to John the Baptist? In the wilderness. Basically, Luke is telling us that the word of God came to John the Baptist out of bounds. He is out of bounds politically because he's literally outside of the national border here on the other side of the Jordan. He is out of bounds religiously. Who is he to proclaim a repentance a forgiveness of sins? And then when we look at John, when we look at this guy, I mean, he is definitely out of bounds. Do you know who John is? I mean, if culturally today, this guy, this guy would be out there, okay? Think about how John the Baptist would look today. This guy not only lived in the wilderness, he was a wild dude. I mean, do you guys ever watch those survival shows where like Bear Grylls teaches you how to live off the land and he eats this, these grubs and shows you how to survive with barely any water and you're just like, man, you're just a little bit out there. I mean, John the Baptist was kind of like that guy, only like he looked different. He wore clothes made out of camel's hair. I looked up camel's hair jackets. They're real expensive now. But he made his own clothes out of camel's hair. He did, like, and it does not look like it's easy to work with. I don't know if you've ever seen camel's hair, but it's like wiry and it just seems like it'd be difficult. And then when I I was writing the sermon at, at a Starbucks, this guy walks into Starbucks. I was like, I was thinking, man, how do I like articulate how different John the Baptist would look? How do I do that? How do I explain it? And then lo and behold, a guy walks into Starbucks and I'm telling you, there was not one inch of his body that was not covered in tattoos. Like face tattoos all over. His whole, his face, his neck, everything was covered in tattoos. And I was like, oh, ding, ding, that's it. 
it's not every day that you see someone whose entire face is covered in tattoos, right? When you see them, you notice. It's a little bit different. That's kind of how I think John the Baptist was. He just, he was out there. You talk about being granola today. This dude was granola. He ate differently, right? He didn't just eat what he grew. He ate what he found. He ate locusts and wild honey. Have you ever eaten locusts? Have you ever eaten grasshoppers? We talked about it in our staff meeting. Martha said she loved locusts when she ate them. She ate locusts in China, right? And she said they were awful. Um, I think Kayla had it in Kenya and said it was a different experience as well. This guy was different, but that wasn't just what made him so different. Yeah, he looked different. Yeah, he ate different, but that wasn't it. Next week, we're going to look at chapter 3 again. I want you to come back next week because we're going to continue this story and we're going to read what John preached and what made him so controversial. But today we see that he lived in the wilderness outside of national boundaries and he proclaimed a baptism of repentance. He proclaimed repentance, metanoia in Greek, which means to turn around and start walking a different way. He called people out of the nation, out of the temple, into the wild and said, stop going that way. You're going the wrong direction. Get baptized and turn around. He called them out of these other systems. Get out of them. Get out into the wilderness. Get into the silence and turn around. He proclaimed the arrival of the Messiah. He came preparing the way of the Lord as we have been promised in Malachi and in Isaiah. And where does he prepare the way of the Lord? Does John prepare the way of the Lord in the political world? No. Does John prepare the way of the Lord even in the religious sphere? No. Not in that temple at that time. The word of the Lord came to John and John prepared the way of the Lord in the wilderness out of bounds because that's what prophets do. And maybe that's why prophets aren't liked. It has been said that John the Baptist is the last Old Testament prophet. And I believe that's true because he sounds like Ezekiel. He sounds like Jeremiah. He sounds like Amos. And the Old Testament prophets... Like the Old Testament prophets, John doesn't fit into the neat, tidy little boxes that they would like him to. John doesn't fit in the political boxes that they want him to. Well, if you're going to be faithful, that means you need to look like this politically, all right? If you don't, you don't belong, you don't fit in, you're not faithful. Have you ever heard anybody say that in our world today? Do we create political boxes that faithful people need to live into? And John doesn't even fit into the religious boxes they would like him to. There's a reason he was beheaded by Herod, who was called the king of the Jews. Herod, who was rebuilding the temple, who was as much a religious leader as he was political. You see, John the Baptist is like a soccer player. He's like a soccer player who's running out of bounds in order to keep things in play. The prophets are these people who can see how the temple has been unfaithful, how the people have been given over to their political ideologies, how they see faithfulness is careening toward the sidelines. 
And so they take it upon themselves to run out of bounds, to get in front of it and to say, no, turn around. Get back in there. So John goes to the outermost limits to keep the word of the Lord alive. John careens out of bounds to keep fidelity towards God in place. This is what the prophets do. This is why the prophets are not always appreciated. So church, does the word of the Lord still come to us today? Does the word of God come today as Luke recorded it then? Are we not sure about that? Is there a question? I thought maybe there would be some response there. Do we believe the word of the Lord comes to us today? Amen, right? We believe the word of the Lord arrives to us. The question is where? Where are we looking? Church, here's a staggering statistic for you. According to Relevant Magazine, a Christian publication, more than 40% of people who identify as evangelical in America attend church once a year or less. 40%. That's almost half. Almost half of Americans who say, I'm an evangelical, have no functional worship practice. How is it that nearly half of those who call themselves evangelical don't attend to worship anywhere, ever? What is an evangelical then? What does it mean to be evangelical? Now that's data. The question is, what do you do with that data? One of the analyses is what the term evangelical even means then. Do you know what the term evangelical means today? If almost half aren't worshiping? To be called an evangelical does not mean what it did even 40 years ago. You see, the term evangelical used to be a church term, a religious marker, a religious identifier. Evangelicals were those who were not mainline. Evangelicals were those who testified to a personal experience with Jesus Christ. Now, do you know what the term evangelical is? It's a voting block. It's a demographic to be catered to to win votes. When 40% are not in worship, it is no longer a church term, friends. It is a political term. And if that's true, that means that evangelicals, at least almost half of them, are looking for the word of God to come not from their local parish, but from their local politician, or from the elected official, or the judge, This this means that evangelicals are squarely within the bounds of the political playing field. And we may have lost our prophetic voices. And those who are prophetic are pushed the rest of the way out of bounds. Church, we have got to stop putting our hope into elected officials to be the voice of God. The word of God does not come through them. And you know what's also true, and this is may be difficult for us to comprehend or to grasp is that the word of God might not be coming through the religious elite as well. I don't know about you, but sometimes I really, really want denominational leadership 
to be courageous. I really, really want the people at the top to have courage to make hard decisions, to stand up for faithfulness. But too often the religious elite placate as well. You see, part of what made John the Baptist problematic was that he called out the religious as well. They had turned the temple into something it was never supposed to be. Instead of being a place where all people could encounter God, in fact, the temple was never intended to be there at all. God said, I'm happy to dwell in a tabernacle moving throughout the midst of my people. I don't need a temple. I don't need a king. Instead of moving in the midst of God's people, they said, no, 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 no. We're going to build a temple. It's going to be marvelous. This thing is going to be awesome. And we're going to be able to tax people when they come to provide their offerings. We're going to be able to make sure that only certain people are welcome. It's going to look good. It's going to smell good. All our food's going to taste good. Instead of being a place where people could encounter a living God, the temple had established who was welcome and who was not. You can worship with us. You can't. You see, John is a prophet because, because he calls out the infidelity of the temple system and those who perpetuated it. Church, the word of God comes through prophetic voices. And prophetic voices often come from out of bounds. In our fellowship group this week, Art Hackett said, if anyone has ever said something uncomfortably true, they might be a prophet. If anyone has ever said to you something uncomfortably true, they might be a prophet. Do you want to hear the word of the Lord, church? You sure? I think one of us does. Maybe more. Do you want to hear the word of the Lord today? Thank you. Then look to the margins. Look to the boundary lines. That might be where God is still speaking. Not among the political elite, maybe not even among the religious elite, but on the fringes, in the wilderness, maybe even from people with face tattoos, from those who dress differently and eat differently and talk differently. That's John. Who are those who are out of bounds today for us? Wow, that's a little bit out there. I don't know, you kinda, you're out there. I don't know if I can listen to that. Who are those who are out of bounds? What are the type of people we would say are out of the boundary lines? What people would we say are pushing on those limits? What if God was speaking through them? Are we listening? Or are we hoping that D.C. is finally going to get their act together? Or are we hoping that denominational and religious institutions are finally going to get their act together? Like the soccer player keeping the ball in play with their head while crawling around on the edge of the playing field, maybe God is speaking through those who live on the margins. 
like the football player reaching out of bounds to grab the football while keeping two toes in bounds. Maybe God is speaking through those who are willing to reach out of what we say is a safe place to inhabit. Like a baseball player rushing into foul territory, diving over the fence to catch a fly ball. Maybe God is speaking through those who make their dwelling among those we deem as fouls. Or among those who live in foul territory or those not worthy of what we would consider fair play. Because I'm telling you, church, I do not think God cares about the boundary lines that we create. I do not think that God cares about the boundary lines that we create because God speaks far too often from outside of those boundary lines. And God never intended to dwell within them. question for us is are we listening to those voices are we listening in those places do you believe god is speaking today maybe god is speaking there church this is the good news of god for the people of god